and live for the Lord. Amen. Living our life for the Lord. Back to the book of Ephesians. The title of the message this morning is Stones and Glass Houses. Stones and Glass Houses. Now, we're going to go from verse 17 down to verse 32, the Lord willing. And verse 32 is our key verse. And we have been dealing with a, a, a verse that we took out of Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 25 about God providing an armory. And he was addressing Judah at that time, who had been ransacked by Assyria, and still didn't get the didn't get the message very clearly, very 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 nicely. And of course, then you've got Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylon Babylonians down uh, in uh, by uh, Babylon, and they're ra- rattling their sabers, and they're going to be the ones who are eventually going to carry off Judah and Benjamin off into captivity along the way. But he warned them that even though they had been ransacked by the Assyrians, that God had an armory. And if they would get in the army, we're not talking about with uh, swords and spears and stones and things of that nature there. But God had a spiritual armory that if they would go in the uh, uh, right relationship with God, they would be able to glean out of that armory the spiritual things they needed to be able to correct their course and that Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't be necessary. But unfortunately, like many of us, they didn't listen. They thought they had all the answers. They thought they knew better. And so on comes Nebuchadnezzar. Now it's about 100 years between when the northern ten tribes had been carried off by Assyria uh, and when uh, Judah and Benjamin would be carried off by the Babylonians. And so uh, as we continue to look at fleshly responses in our life, and that's basically what we have been dealing with here when we've been looking at our arsenal, is that God has provided an arsenal in which we can... Of course, remember, if we're reminded in Romans chapter 6 that we are to rein in our members, meaning to, we are to rein in our flesh. And so we have to have some means of doing that in the arsenal that God has provided that we've been dealing with over these last so many weeks or how long has it been now? Months, I guess, where we've been dealing with that. But uh, uh, we're looking at it, uh, the portion of Scripture here today, I, I, I believe that uh, deals with what I'm really the, the getting, getting to, and that is uh, uh, of compassion. A uh, message on compassion or not developing a, a critical spirit. Because, you know, it's so easy, isn't it, to develop a critical spirit. I, I know that husbands and wives develop a critical spirit toward one another. Uh, a lot of times marital counseling, post-marital counseling, is almost always because there's a tremendous critical spirit, other than the fact that uh, most people are trying to conduct their marriages based on rights rather than on responsibilities. And then, of course, uh, parents oftentimes develop critical spirits with their children. And children among themselves, siblings, develop critical spirits among each other. And so even within the church, there's critical spirits that get developed. Amen? Even between denominations, there's a critical spirit that exists. And so uh, we're going to see how this portion of Scripture is going to help us to deal with making sure that we check our critical spirit and make sure that that it's uh, uh, under the blood. 
So, as I said, as we continue to look at fleshly responses in our life, we know the damage we can do to relationships, whether in marriage, family, uh, and or friendships, by the way that we respond to others, the attitude that we have, the attitude that we take. So in our key verse 32 from Ephesians chapter 4, we are being admonished to exercise great, a great deal of grace in our responses or our comments. Now, isn't that, isn't that, isn't, isn't that true to form? That we're thankful for the great grace that God has bestowed toward us. Yes. Amen? No. But boy, when it comes to grace for others, <laughs> I mean, it's, where is it? It's almost as if we don't get it. And so I'm sure that we have heard the old adage that if one lives in a glass house, they should be careful about throwing stones. Which, by the way, addresses folks who possess a critical spirit and feel it is their place in this world to find fault and to correct others in the things that they do. That is not your mission. Amen. Our mission is to get the gospel so that the, un- the unsaved, the lost, can come to know Christ as their own personal Lord and Savior. Now, it is always easier to find faults and to criticize others than it is to regulate our own lives. Amen. Now, I don't know anyone born of man and woman who does everything perfectly. And while there is always room for all of us to improve, it is not always our place to offer suggestions through a critical spirit to help someone else change their lives. When we especially look at ourselves in a mirror. So truth be told, we can and usually do more harm than good through being critical, no matter how well-intentioned we may be. Another adage at this point is that one can catch more bees with honey than with vinegar. Now, I'm not sure why anybody would want to catch bees unless you you like honey and bees are so on there, but it is an adage that bees will be drawn to honey more than vinegar. So it is a fact that people respond better when they are treated better. Amen? Amen. Even the unsaved can be treated better by you and I not becoming so pious that we're no earthly good. And so there is a place for constructive criticism. Well, on the other hand, there is no place for destructive criticism, no matter how well-intentioned it may be. So before we can get to our key verse, verse 32... I'll remind us that if we have a critical spirit, it is our nature to be critical. In God's arsenal, we have a means by which we can bring about a change that is helpful rather than hurtful. And thus, we are not to be hurtful. We are to be helpful in our lives. And so we begin with what the Apostle Paul says prior to verse 32 by looking at verses 17 through 31. Father, won't you guide, won't you direct? Lord, it's an all-important message because, Lord, help us understand if we're going to devour one another, then, Lord, we're going to destroy each other. And we certainly destroy our image before the world. And, Lord, they look at us and, 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 they, and they formulate the, the, the tagline, that, and you call yourselves Christians. Lord we, ought not to be, Lord, we ought not to be known as people who shoot their own on the battlefields. And so, Lord, you guide and you direct, whether it's to salvation or to rededication, whether here in the sanctuary or those who are gathered at home. Lord, may you have your perfect will. May you have your perfect way. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So the, the very first point, we only have two points this morning, is the, the, is the believer's deportment. Now, that's a word we don't hear used often very much today, uh, but the, is the idea is its behavior as behavior ought to be. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 31 will be that source text in there. And so we jump back to verse 17 this morning because Paul is about to lay out the character of our walk as redeemed of the Lord. We ought to get our own lives straight before we start straightening out the lives of others. Amen. And nothing irritates people worse than people who have unstraightened lives trying to straighten someone else's life out. You may have a victory in a few places along the line here, but there's a lot of areas you don't have. And you're looking at someone else, and maybe you're trying to uh, impose upon them what you think you ought to be, therefore you want them to be what you are not. And so in that verse 17 of chapter 4, the scripture says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not. Now the word walk in, in the scripture means a manner of life. It's not about taking a stroll around the park or whatever it is, taking a hike along a hiking path somewhere. It's talking about the, the direction of your entire life, the character and the nature of your entire life. It's a direction that your life is going. It's the direction that your life is taking. And it says that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Now, the word vanity also means empty. Empty. Well, there's some pretty smart unsafe people out there. But unfortunately, there's no real divine influence in their lives. So when it comes to the, the divine nature of God or the divine things that God desires, there, there, there's, empty, there's emptiness there for sure. And it ought not to be named among you and I who are the children of God, who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, that, that, we, are, that, that we are walking in vanity. Amen. We should be walking according to the knowledge of the Word of God. Amen? And so, in this verse, the word walk has to do with one's progress in spiritual maturity, making progress. The unsaved will never get any further spiritually than they already are. But for you and I, we should be further along today than we were yesterday and this week more than last week. Certainly, if we have been saved for any length of time, we ought to be closer in, a, in, a, in our in our in our progress in, in the, the image that the Holy Spirit is trying to mold and shape us into the Lord Jesus Christ more now than we were five years ago. And so prior to our salvation, we walked as the world walked. So when you look at them and you shake your head, you have to say, that was me. I walked like that, but by the grace of God, I can see the difference. And so I want to walk now the way that pleases God. I mean, the world walks, the, 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 the way they walk, they walk to please themselves. And so we walk as the world, when we walk as the world walks according to the world's values, uh, our Christian tes testimony is down the tubes. Now that we have been saved by God's grace, there is a new life within us in which to build godly values or what God values. And that's what we talk What are we talking about when we say godly values? The things that God values. Unfortunately, a lot, a lot of Christians value the things that God values. And that's sad. That's why we're not as effective as we could be or as effective as we should be because we don't value the things that God values. And so there's a new life within us in which to build godly values or what God values rather than what the world values. 
And so 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're all familiar with that. So therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? He's a new creature. Uh, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are what? Become new. Old things are passed away. What old things? What old things? Well, the way we once thought and reasoned uh, after a rudimentary world. The world is thinking because that's what they've been taught. Uh, I didn't hear much about globalism when I was in school. Our young people are being inundated with globalism. They're being inundated with godless values in our classrooms. They're being taught that the best way to deal with sexual dysphoria is to give these seven-year-olds and these eight-year-olds what they think they need, and that is a, a sex, trans, uh, a sex transla- transition uh, by mutilation and, and, and chemicals. Sorry. Um, would you have ever imagined that you would have heard that in your school days? I mean, we're talking about a day when I went to school that you had to have a belt in your pants. You had to have a college shirt. And you didn't wear sneakers to class. You definitely didn't wear shorts. And when you can pick up the, the uh, Essex uh, reporter and you can read in there that teachers are lamenting the fact that some of the girls that were going to school were wearing things that made it impossible for them to teach in classes. We don't live in a woke world. We live in a wicked world. So the tell you is, is the way that we once thought, the way that we once reasoned after a rudimentary world. Uh, and, and the second thing I would is the way in which we have been influenced by a, a worldly ideology. And when you put your kids in a public school system, I'm going to tell you right now, your, your, your kindergartners all the way through are being inundated with globalism. Globalism is a march and a move towards a one world government. Now they're going to get their wish eventually. When the church is raptured out, and the Lord Jesus Christ uh, takes us all up to heaven to be with him, and we have to give an account of ourselves, kind of our stewardship here on earth, then the Antichrist is going to come on the scene, and they're going to have a one-world government. And it's not going to be anything like they thought it was going to be. A cruel, vicious, vile, wicked entity is going to rule the world in ways that they could never have possibly imagined. But the idea is that we talk about uh, the things that we think and the things that we do, the things that we accept and the things that are okay. Or how about the things of our flesh, uh, our flesh once craved and desired. Mm-hmm. Now we, we should crave something different. Yes. We should desire something altogether different. Mm-hmm. Amen? There's a, there's a song that said, how's that go, Steve? Uh, I'm not what I once, I'm not what I used to be. How's it go? Remember how that goes? Used to do. Oh yeah, things I used to do, I don't do anymore. Yeah, there you go. Uh, you know, that that is that is an evidence of a, of a really the beginning of a changed life. The things I used to do, I do not do anymore. The things I used to say, I don't say anymore. The places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. Amen. Oh preacher, you're going to start a straitjacket my life. Listen, you think the world looks all that happy to you? Do you think they look like they're filled with joy? What do they look like when you go to work on Monday? Hopefully not like you. <laughs> or if they look like you, then, I mean, you come bopping in there and say, boy, what was a great weekend. 
I had a wonderful time. We went to church and we had a glorious time in church. We had a great time with that family. And, oh, what a wonderful time. What? And everybody's going to get whatever. And even when it comes to Friday, I mean, the same joy is there. You come into work and you say, man, it's great. I'm looking forward to this week going into the house of the Lord and taking my family to worship and all the things that we're going to do together as a church family or as a, or as a family in general. Oh, man, we ought to be the happiest people on planet Earth. Amen? Amen. Yes. We ought to be. The question is, why aren't we? Well, the Bible tags it's because there's a war going on. And they're not talking about between Russia and Ukraine. Well, I'm not talking about the alliance between Russia and uh, uh, China in here. There's a war going on. And the devil and the Holy Spirit are vying for control of our thought life, of our actions and our reactions to life. So there was no genuine divine influence in our lives before we were saved. There was none. You went to church, but now that you've come to a saving knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ, you're asking yourself, what in the world did I ever learn? <laughs> what was there? I didn't, I didn't sense any divine influence. Now, I'm not going to blame all churches because sometimes you can go to a fundamental Bible-believing, redneck, Bible-thumping Baptist church and still sit there and they go, whoop, whoop. And that happens with some of our young people. It happens with some adults. But hopefully a little bit gets stuck in the middle up there somewhere. So then we heard the gospel that Jesus saves and we came to a saving faith in the person and the work of Christ upon the cross. So then that verse goes on and says, Behold, all things, not just a few things, all things are become new. Where there was once no divine influence in our lives, now in Christ there is the divine influence of the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God in our lives. Now, we can read there in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are what? Sealed unto the day of redemption. So all the things that we'll be looking at here this morning, that if, we, if we do those things that are negative, that are, that are mentioned in here, then we're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Now, we don't lose our salvation, but, you know, have you, have you, has someone ever done something and you just kind of go, Ugh. you were kind of grieved about it? Usually that's what happens when you have children. <laughs> you, you, you kind of grieve a lot, don't you? You kind of, Ugh. Well, that's what happens. But the Holy Spirit is also grieved because he's been convicting us and convincing us that that is not a good thing, that this is the better thing, that this is the wise thing, this is the unwise thing, this is vain, uh, and, and, and this, again, is the right thing to do. And there we are in the middle, and we go, whoop, 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 whoop. and the flesh says, do that, do that, do that. And the Spirit says, no, do this, do this, do this. Uh, it's it's kind of like uh, you have to make a choice, don't you? Who am I going to listen to? Well, hopefully you're going to, Exercise the divine influence and do the thing that God wants you to do. And so, the word new is used twice in 2 Corinthians 5.17, meaning having never seen uh, service before, new as in contrast to what was old. So God didn't come to renovate or to revitalize the old me which was controlled by my flesh. 
He put within me a new creation. And he is going to build off that foundation, the things that are important to him, as well as important to you and I. And so, this new aspect in Christ will enable us to do things in a way that pleases God. You see, prior to your salvation, you really couldn't do anything to please God. But now, as a child of God, it really is important for me to learn what it is that pleases God. When I got married, I think I mentioned it last week, woe is the man and foolish is the man who doesn't take the time to try and find out what it is that pleases his wife. Or the wife who tries to discover what it is that pleases her husband. Most of the time, it's just a good cooked meal, taters and steak and so on once in a while. He's a happy-go-lucky guy. But the truth of the matter is, do you know how or do you know exactly what it is that pleases God? And then the second question is, are you doing it? Because to know what it is that pleases God and to not do them is an act of disobedience. Now, I hope that over the 59.7 years that Peg and I have been married, that I've learned some things. I'm still learning. She's a very complex individual. Most, most, most women are very complex. <laughs> but vice versa. She'll, she'll look at me and she said, I know you like the back of my hand. <laughs> and sadly enough, I can't find anything to surprise her with either. So I don't want to give up on those along the way. But the idea is that, that we have been saved to live for the Lord. Amen? We have been saved to serve. We became servants. We need to act like servants. And that means doing his will, not my will. Or seeking for him to put a stamp on my will at the expense of not doing his will. And so this uh, new aspect in Christ will enable us to do things in a way that pleases God and is beneficial to you and I as well as to others. I'm now capable of loving my wife with a greater love than I could have before. And vice versa. To love our children with a greater love. Our grandchildren. I mean, every grandparent loves their grandchildren more than they do their own children anyway. We know that. <laughs> That's because the grandchildren have to go home. <laughs> but nonetheless, we, you know, it, it, it is true. There, there, there is something about the life, our life in Christ that really changes the dynamics of marriages Changes the dynamic, not dynamics of the individual as well as the family, as well as the marriage and the ministry as well. And so we'll now, we will now experience a conviction that we never felt before over things in our lives that displeases God. Amen? Listen, if you're paying attention, man, it doesn't take you very long to find out what displeases your wife. And vice versa. So we now have a growing desire to live a life that pleases God that we never had before. That's because of the new creation, that which has been created in us, that God is now going to build up and build off of. And so now Paul, then of the Holy Spirit, lays before us and the believers in, 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 uh, in, in, in uh, the believers in Ephesus as well as our present day today, that as redeemed of the Lord, our, God fully expects us to walk differently than we did before our salvation, and certainly that we should not be walking as the unsaved walk. 
It should be all the difference between night and day. In fact, God gave Israel the peculiar, the peculiar things that he gave to them, whether you talk about the Levitical law or other aspects that God took in their life. He wanted them to be a peculiar people among all the people of the world. And he said, I want to be able to put the difference between night and day, between darkness and light, between righteousness and unrighteousness. And he expected Israel to be that difference. To be an example of, of, of what that difference really looked like. They had their good times and they had their bad times. And so we are the redeemed of the Lord and we go out there into the world. We go out there so that God can say this is the difference between light and darkness. This is the difference between evil and, and righteousness. And that's our responsibility. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17, 17 through 19, is life without any genuine divine influence and is described best in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, where it says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Lord, for they are spiritually discerned. See, they can't, they, 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 the unsaved have no spiritual discernment. Right. At least not godly, not, not godly uh, discernment. I mean, the Bible is very clear, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Lord, for they are spiritually discerned. But in, in the Ephesians chapter 4 and beginning in verse 17, uh, go down to eight, verse 18, it said, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, which means unbridled uh, lust, really what it means, uh, to, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, Folks, that's the world you, you, you once were a part of. Now, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Amen? Right. Yes? No? Yes? We're in the world, but we're not of the world, which means that none of that should be a part of our lives. What once was should no longer be a part of our lives. And so, he goes on and... Lose uh, my place here. Um, So this is now, again, this is for the most part was you and I before our salvation. Now, verse 20 begins with the word but. I don't like the word but very often. When it comes to the word of God, I don't mind it. Because when someone says, well, I know what you're saying, preacher, but. <laughs> oh, I know what the Bible says, but. Forboten, not good. Well, the Bible says, like it says there in, uh, in uh, verse 3, But ye have not so learned Christ. Christ never acted like that. Christ never thought that way. Christ didn't walk that way. And so when Paul and the disciples were preaching the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and even what we know historically speaking, None of the things that we've just mentioned here in verses uh, 18 and 19 were ever a part of the life of Christ. But ye have not learned Christ so. Or, so uh, now comes, you see, that, that, that's the divine influence in verses 20 through 31. So in, in verse 20, when he says, uh, but ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. See, 
the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God is to conform us to the image of Christ. Not that we will physically look like him, but the way our mind operates, the way we reason, the way we attack, or uh, I'm going to use the word attack, that sounds too negative, but the way we uh, uh, face life, we face it the same way the Lord Jesus Christ did. So, or as Paul would say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's what we're getting at here. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to take this, this worldly carnal mind that has now been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and conform it to the image of Christ so that my thinking and my ideology and all of this is more like the Lord Jesus Christ with every passing day that I'm in the Word of God and I'm exercising the Word of God and making it a part of my life. And so we go on with... Uh, Verse uh, 22, it says, That ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. He wants to put his oars in your water. He wants to be able to move you and to get you to think the way he wants you to think. And, and that'd be anything but the way the Lord would think. But he goes on and, and he says, um, uh, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man. In other words, you have to make it a choice. Am, am, am I going to let this day be controlled by my flesh? By the what I once was proud of my salvation? Yeah, but preacher, things don't seem to be going right. Well, then I'm going to make sure that I put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to put on the way he would handle it, the way he would think about it. You see, I've got to be in the Bible to know how he would think. I've got to be in the Word of God to glean from there so that I would know how he would act. I don't wear a bracelet, what would Jesus do? But I can learn in the Bible what Jesus would do in any given situation. And I can respond accordingly. And that's what I mean by putting him off. means that, you know, you tell the old man, take a hike. And you grab the new man and you embrace him and say, Lord, I want to, I want to, be, I want to be a blessing. I want to honor you. I want to live like you along the way so we must never lose sight of the purpose of the ministry of the Holy Spirit being to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ Romans 8.29 says for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren and so for whom he that is God the father did foreknow you know he knew that I was going to come to know Christ as my personal Lord and Savior he didn't predestinate me to be saved, but he predestinated my life as a Christian to be conformed to the image of his son. That is his predestination for me and for you as well. And it says that uh, uh, for whom he did for no, God the Father also predestinated uh, to be conformed to the image of his son, as you and me, that he might be the firstborn born among many, many brethren. And so brings us to point number two. I, I had to say all of this, and I'd like you to read all those other verses in between there, because it's getting, yeah, we got to almost be done. Um, uh, we look at point number two, glass houses and stones, and, and there's a, there's a, there's a, a not to do from verses 17 uh, through 32, and there is things to do. And if we're not doing those things which begin with verse 20 down to verse 32, 
then we need to be careful about how we uh, uh, approach others with what we think they're doing wrong. Amen? In other words, there are things that we've got to get right in our own life before we worry about what's going on in someone else's life. And so, point number two, very quickly, is glass houses and stones. We have seen what should and should not be a part of a believer's life, and I understand that not all changes come easily. However, being a child of God, at the very least, should be incentive enough to work hard to bring about godly changes in our lives so others can see what God is doing in our lives. Isn't that Matthew chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 and 18? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God. In other words, they're going to look at you and say, that's not the you I used to know. That must be a work of God. Amen. Ooh, what a difference that would be. Amen. So it's never acceptable to say, well, that's just who I am. No, that's not who you are in Christ. That's who you want to be. And so if you have come to a saving faith in Christ, we are no longer who we once were. We are a new creation in Christ. Note Ephesians 4.21. If so be. Are you genuinely saved? Then change, however slow, uh, will come. If not, change will not come. And is incentive enough to make sure that we indeed are saved? So are you saved? Change should be coming. It's kind of evidence that change is evidence that we have had a genuine uh, experience of salvation with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, my dad for many years felt that he had to clean up his life before he, could come, before he could ever accept God or before God would ever accept him. Well, eventually God sent cancer into his life and he realized he may not have that much time in order to get his life right. He said, maybe I just better get it straightened out now. And he got saved. Well, folks, you don't need to clean yourself up. Otherwise, you wouldn't need to come to Christ. We come to Christ as we are so that he can clean us through the blood. And so we are a new creation in Christ. Are you genuinely saved? Then change, however slow, will come. And so in verse 32 of our text of Ephesians chapter 4, and there it simply says, and be ye kind one to another. You know, it's easy to be kind to those who are kind to you. But how about being kind to those who are not kind? I mean, isn't that where the rubber meets the road in genuine Christianity? To bless those who curse you. To love those who hate you. To be kind to those who are unkind to you, if you will. Isn't that where the rubber really meets the road? I mean, Christ in his earthly public ministry was more gracious to the sinners than many of us or have ever been in our lifetime. But he says there, be ye kind, meaning not to be harsh, uh, a critical spirit is oftentimes a harsh spirit. And we can be harsh with our spouses, harsh with our children. Uh, I, I, when, I, when I got out of the Air Force and I, I had a, a job with uh, uh, a company that, that, that rebuilt and sold submergible, subterfugal pumps. And the guy who ran that there and the, and the co-worker, they were good friends. But they became uh, um, parting of the, the ways... Because he wanted, the, the one who owned the place, ran the place, he wanted his son to be a good football player. And if his son didn't get it right, he grabbed that kid's mask and he yanked him all over the backyard. I told you that! I mean, he would just, off the chart, off the chart. Now, you don't have to be that extreme to still be overly critical 
Though some things come easy to some people. Some things are difficult. Give me a toolbox and, and some mechanical things to work on and I'm, I'm okay. Give me a math book and I might as well burn it. <laughs> I do not do well with algebra and geometry and I know all of that kind of stuff. As long as I can, as long as I can make change for a dollar, I'm happy. Not <laughs> just kidding. Or balance a book and do all those kind of things. That's great. But even with friends, sometimes we get along with our friends or treat our friends better than we do our own family. But also, when that says in that verse, forgiving, meaning to be gracious. How many of you would raise your hand and say, "I deserved to be saved"? Anyway, none of us, but for the grace of God. are saved today. And so when someone says something and someone does something, I, I look at them and I say, listen, unless you're beating me up with a two by four, I'm not going to take it personally. I'm not going to take it personally. Now that will infuriate them, I'm sure, but that's okay. And many of us are, are still wrestling in other areas and we must be careful not to be critical of others who haven't won the victory in those areas in which we have. Now listen, I, I can look at someone who has a problem smoking and say, you know what, just, just, just give it up. You're a Christian, you have the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in there. But see, I never smoked. I've never been addicted to nicotine. But don't talk to me about sugar though. <laughs> don't talk to me about sugar. I'm still wrestling. I'll probably wrestle that to the grave. I don't know. <laughs> but a critical spirit is the opposite of everything listed in Ephesians 4.32. It is the opposite. Winning out over a critical spirit is achieved by submitting to God, studying God's word, praying for the exercise of grace. The same grace with which God exercised towards you and me when, 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 when he made salvation available to us. Let's just turn and close with Galatians. Just back one book. Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to read the first five verses. He said, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, beat him up. Throw him under the bus. No. That's not what it says. It says, Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he what? He deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have uh, rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. God's called us to be a healer, not a destroyer. To be an encourager not a discourager, to love unconditionally, to exercise great grace on their behalf. Some people have just simply bought into a lie and they, they need to see that our lies are not a lie so they can embrace the truth that gave us the liberty in Christ. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the patience of your folk. But Lord, in, in this life, it's so important that we draw from the armory 
the biblical truths that will help us to deal with these things that are, are embedded in the weaknesses of our flesh. And Lord, I, I wish that salvation would take care of them and they just all disappear and fly away. But Lord, they remain there. They remain embedded in our flesh. But Lord, you have given us within your armory the truths, the principles and the precepts that we can exercise to get the victory over all of them. But Lord, sometimes we just rather stew in the flesh than to bask in, this, in the liberty of the Spirit. Lord, work with us today that as we go forth that we're going to make a difference in people's lives. Lord, even without saying a word that our lives will make a profound difference in someone else's life. And the fact that they have never met anyone like us. And that's, Lord, because they never really have met Christ. And as they see Christ being formed in us, or us being formed in Christ, then, Lord, they will be able to sample the goodness, the mercy, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning and our soul looking around. I'd ask you as a child of God, what is your life like today? What areas of your life are you wrestling with that you don't need to be wrestling with? Or things that you've said that you wish you had not, you wish you could take them back? If you had just only allowed the Holy Spirit of God to direct you before you opened your mouth, things could have been different. They would have ended differently. Do you as an individual exercise God's grace on behalf of others, especially those who, who don't know any better because they don't have any divine influences within them, but you do. And part of that divine influence is to have compassion and show kindness to others in spite of how they, how they respond to you. And you'd say this one preacher, pray for me today. I, I, I want to have the demeanor of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life as I walk about. I want to be a good representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want the image that others see in me to be the work that the Lord Christ, Jesus Christ is doing in my life. Preacher, pray for me this morning. Yes, hands are here and hands are there. At home, you can make the same choices and the same decisions. And it's so important, it's so important that we do to realize that it's so much easier for us to find fault than it is to back off and exercise kindness and grace and understanding. And maybe this one you're saying, Preacher, I don't even know if I got a home in heaven today. Don't walk out of here without knowing for sure that you got a home in heaven. The most critical, important decision you're going to make in your lifetime, and you better make it quick because it looks like the Lord may be coming sooner than we think. And that is to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You don't have to jump through a lot of hoops. It's all right there for you. Just acknowledge the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died as your substitute on the cross. Thank him for doing that. Invite him to take up a permanent residency within your heart. And he will write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because if you don't accept him, there is no name entry in the Lamb's Book of Life for you as an individual. Preacher, pray for me this morning. I do not know where I'm going to spend eternity, but would you pray for me today? Well, Father, again, we just thank you for the patience of your people. I know I went a little bit longer than I should, but Lord, in the day and age when it's so vital, so important, may we be the individuals that you have saved us to be. And may the work of the Holy Spirit succeed in conforming us willingly, gladly, to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Lord, guide and direct. Dismiss us now with thy blessings, we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and all God's people said. Amen. The message again, Steve? Avoiding the demon of doubt. Avoiding the demon of doubt. Plan to be here at 6 o'clock tonight. Amen. Thank you.